Hi, I'm Jenny Rustmeyer, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Coming at you from Louis XIV's secret armory, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin and Aramis had nothing on my sword skill. Joining me as usual is the all-for-one team who foiled Calzinel you should use plan of domination. He taught Athos how to use his rapier on believers, Tyler. I'm storming the Bastille as we speak, go away. <laughs> and he outfired Porthos with his own musket, Kevin. Man, I just found out a way that you can make two parallel lines intersect and still be parallel. <laughs> Joe, welcome back. Are you ready to skirmish Fred style or face the guillotine? That was a question for you guys. Oh, what's that? Oh, forget it. <laughs> this is why I drink. And we got to welcome our, our old friend, Regina. Welcome back, dear. Thank you very much. It's a privilege. Well, you haven't been with us long enough to say <laughs> that yet. <laughs> we're going to have a great show today. Today, we're going to be talking about depression with John McComb. We're going to have him on coming on later on. But first, a little bit of chit-chat. Guys, did you hear that, uh, according to Oxfam, um, apparently the top eight billionaires are worth 50% of the world uh, in money-wise. You know, they, they're worth the same as 50% of the world. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, it's terrible. In Canada, it's two people yeah, on the, the top same as the bottom 40%. Actually, I've got I 30%, but I, either way, it doesn't matter. Potato, it's, it's, potato. Yeah, potato, potato. I mean, <laughs> talk what, about do they, what do they pay for taxes? <sighs> I don't yeah. know. I don't have, have any tax breaks is what they have. <laughs> that's right, that's right. 11% after all the tax. Talk about inequality. You guys had a good week, I hope. Yeah, yeah, except for the rich, man. Except for the rich. Well, this whole Trump thing, it's just, I was so excited for the election to be over, and it's just gotten so it much It just worse. keeps going, right? It just keeps going. Uh, yeah, Trump is now, it's official, and now it is the Trump era. Uh, Barack Obama is gone, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> Good luck to our American listeners, I guess. That's all I can say. I'm so uh, sorry, guys. Think Canada. Yeah, yeah. I have a little story to tell, though. Okay, go for it. So, Lawrence Krauss posted a, a thing here the other day. I'm friends with him on Facebook, and he has a bunch of ridiculous friends. Anyways, he was just pointing out that the uh, new White House website um, for Trump's thing, you know, Mike Pence and his pictures and all that, it doesn't have anything mentioning the LGBT community anymore like it used to, and it doesn't mention anything about climate change like it used to. And if you look at the Snopes article, it says, you know, it's a mixture of truth. And then it says, you know, all those things are accessible on Obama's page. Okay, I don't see how that's a mixture of truth. All it's showing is that Donald Trump, you know, created his own White House website and blah, blah. And obviously climate change and LGBT are not yeah. a top priority anymore. But the Snopes excuse was you can still find it on Obama's page. So what? Yeah. Every time you get a new president, they post their own... You know, priorities. It doesn't matter if the previous president had climate change plans or anything. The new one comes in. Yeah. And exactly. it, it, actually, <coughs> it actually says on the website uh, from Donald Trump that there's too many energy barriers for business. 
Like, that's the opposite of fighting climate change. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I, th- I was hoping he would have changed his mind, given that uh, New York Times interview where he said, yeah, you know, yeah, maybe there's a bit of a connection between humans. and man. I was hoping he would have changed his mind by now, given the fact that the scientific community around the world overwhelmingly supports anthropogenic climate change and that sort of thing. But he shouldn't be making... He's not a scientist. He's a moron on top mm. of it, and he's not a scientist. Why not listen to the experts in the field? He's like Biff from like Back to the Future when he goes and becomes <laughs> really powerful. Hey, McFly! I thought I told you never to come in here. <laughs> make like a tree and get out of here. <laughs> this is about as funny as a screen door on a battleship. <laughs> I was telling Kevin earlier that I'd uh, done a call in to CKNW yesterday when they were asking about opinions uh, re-Trump, and I basically, and honestly and truly believe this, that it won't be nearly as good as his supporters think, maybe not nearly as bad as the rest of us think. So hopefully it's somewhere in between. Yeah. I know he's moving very quickly right now, Donald Trump, on uh, what, what he's trying to do. My biggest concern is the healthcare thing, because people, they've already got like 45,000 people that die every year simply because they don't have access to healthcare, and now it's going to be even worse. Obamacare was nowhere near as good as, you know, socialized medicine in Canada, but still, all these people are going to go from, you know, expensive health care to no health. His plan literally was open up a bank account, stick in some money, and save it up for your own stuff. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, you go to an emergency room visit, you break your leg, you're talking $1,000, $2,000. Break your leg? $1,000? It's $800 to get an IV drip. I mean, <laughs> yeah, plus a cast and plus yeah, the yeah, so two thousand dollars because you break your leg. I mean, easily, very easily. You remember though that Trump's trying to get rid of something that's already in the process of being dismantled and replaced by the uh, Patient Care Act, right? Mm. Which is still an Obama thing. So yeah. we'll see how that works out. Yeah, the the, the some people like uh, Bernie Sanders are trying very hard to make sure that the Republicans say, "Fine, if you want to eliminate Obamacare, sure, but replace it with something." Don't yes. just leave the people yes. hanging, and I think that's important. And I can't, I can't, I can't make a jab, can't help but make a little jab at Hillary. You know, uh, here's you here's can. Bernie, here's Bernie, right? He lost, and he's still fighting for the people. What happened to Hillary since she's lost? We haven't heard from her. You suck. No, she where's she been? Shake and she disappeared. No, exactly, she just disappeared. It just shows who really cared about the people. Anyway, in my opinion. But speaking of Trump, a couple of uh, shows ago, I was talking about. When we were, when when Trump was getting nominated and elected and all that, I was talking about what really concerned me was Trump style politics coming north of the 49th. Kevin O'Leary. That's right. And this week he announced that he is going to run for the leadership of the Conservative Party. And try to abolish healthcare. This guy's a douche. I'm sorry. Did you see the Jeopardy thing I posted? Yeah, I did see the Jeopardy thing. Oh man, they asked him about. Carbon dating, basically. You couldn't say carbon fourteen. You couldn't even say a number. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh they asked him a question about business, and he completely failed at it too. I mean, don't get me wrong, Jeopardy is a hard game, and even myself, I can only answer like maybe two or three of those questions myself. No, no. Uh, but Je- Jeopardy is not hard because they send you a packet to study before you go on the show. Oh, okay. So it kind of gives you well, a bit of an idea. I didn't know fixed. that. Yeah. So well, well, no. I mean, it's just to give you a, everybody. It's not fixed because everybody gets the equal packet, and they can kind of study what's going to happen on it. But what worries me here is uh, Kevin O'Leary announced that he's going to run and already people are saying oh that's such a good idea uh, Trudeau's horrible and he's going to come in and people are already throwing flowers 
this this is what worries me because this guy is exactly like my, my, I wouldn't say probably not as stupid as Donald Trump, but he's the same kind of guy who's going to use the same kind of tactics. Yes. And one of the things that I came across this past week is how he suggested that we the Senate seats, you know, because there's been a bigger back you and forth about the sell Senate, them all, sell the Senate seats. Don't. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Uh, uh, hold on, I've got a clip here. Let's we, listen we're into this. We're protected. We he cannot do that. Or it'd be unconstitutional. But this is what the maybe next prime minister wants to do about this. Let's listen in. Okay. Talk about some things you and I have talked about. One, you said the solution to the Senate is not Senate reform, is to let people buy Senate seats. Anyone should be able to buy a Senate seat for a couple hundred thousand dollars. The taxpayer doesn't pay for it. Rich people, whoever they want. Corporate sponsors, do you really believe that's your Senate reform plan? That's not exactly what I said. You still have to be accredited. But I would love the fact that if you're going to be a senator, you commit financially to it because it's a role of honor. There's no question about it. It's an important institution within Canada. But I don't know why we can't have at least $100,000 or $200,000 a year committed to each senator. Instead of it being a cost center to Canada, why can't it be a profit center? It's an interesting idea. I'm happy to float it. I'm full of good ideas, Evan. Well, you and I both know some of your candidates are saying you're full of something else, and that's why they say stop Kevin O'Leary. And on that very issue, they talk about campaign finance reform. Justin Trudeau's in a lot of hot water about campaign fundraising. You yeah. know it. But Kevin O'Leary, you've said you would get rid of campaign finance rules and let people contribute as much as possible. Do you still believe that? I'm very frustrated. I, I don't know why I, as a successful entrepreneur, can't pay for my own campaign. <laughs> well, for once, the rich white man is in control. I don't understand that. That seems unfair. Why should I burden other people when I can afford to do the whole thing myself? I'm frustrated about it. I'm not happy with these rules. I just want transparency. If I told you I wanted to commit two million of my own dollars and told the government I was doing that and was totally transparent about it, what's wrong with that? I feel bad for all the candidates that have to run around and collect $1,500 at a time. I'm going to have to do the same thing, but I think it's unfair. Why not let me spend my own money? I don't see what's wrong with that well, as long someone, as I'm transparent about well, it. What if a company wants to donate a million dollars to a campaign? Do you think that's okay? As long as you're disclosing it. I'm not sure as a candidate you'd want one party or one company to, do, to give you that kind of money. It smacks you know, that you're going to have some commitment yes. or an obligation. I wouldn't do that. What to say about a clip like that? This is this is the guy that's talking about essentially, of if you're rich, you can be a senator. Mm-hmm, exactly, and he was saying things about honor. I don't think he really understands what honor is. No, if you no. can just buy your way into anything you do. That that's not representative of the people at all. No, no, and and and, and then of course after that comes in was this, the kind of Trumpism he's already saying. You know, oh, I'm full of good ideas. Yeah. It's exactly what Trump would say. Yeah, it's exactly what Trump would say. Little and mini me. And then of course anybody can contribute, which is exactly the problem they have in the states with Citizens United. Anybody can contribute any amount of money, no problem, no yeah. problem. No caps on it, no, right? And I can't believe some Canadians are already falling for this guy. I mean, this is this is a douchebag of the biggest magnitude, and it worries me. I would have thought that we were better educated than that, but apparently we aren't. You guys know how Denmark does it? How does Denmark do it? No private funding whatsoever. It's all That's public. Good. Everybody mm-hmm. gets the same kind of thing. That and way, it should be that way. That way, you don't have some oil company coming in mm-hmm. saying, "I'll pay for your campaign," yeah, exactly. but you got to kind of pay me. What back. do you think of uh, mandatory voting? Oh, I agree. I totally agree with. I that. totally agree. Well, what's with the it. consequence if you don't? Mm-hmm. Good question. 
Probably Sounds hanging public. <laughs> well, maybe what we could do is give off a tax rebate if you do. That, that would be, would be better, yeah. yes. Okay, but carrot rather than the stick. You can't, yeah. The problem is like that, that I've known so many adults who don't understand the basic differences between the liberals, the NDP, and the conservative. I actually had a friend of mine who I've known for a long time. She was voting conservative thinking that she was voting for the NDP. So the only way, like the policy ideas, I mean... The only way that you could really do that is if you have a good political education class in high school so people know the differences. I totally agree with that. Because like, I'm considered a liberal, but I would never vote for liberals. I'm sorry. That's okay. Well, <laughs> You're entitled to your opinion. Well, no, but I, I would vote for the liberals. I'm further left than Tom Mulcair by far for the NDP. He's I would vote left. for you, Tyler. I Well, everybody. <laughs> vote I, for Tyler. I'm more of like a, a Tommy Douglas kind of social democrat. You know what I mean? Like the Scandinavian system and that kind of thing. But that wonderful, well, it wasn't a documentary. It was fictional, but it was on his life. I think it's called Prairie Giant. I wish they would show it's, it. It's to not fictional. Well. But yeah, I've seen it. And Embellished, maybe? It, mm. it's, uh, it, to me, should be shown in, in schools, I think, at a, starting around the age, uh, or probably grade five, and showing it every subsequent year. It's pretty long, but it is good. Now, my grandfather was mayor of Musha, Saskatchewan, back in those days, and he kind of worked with him and that sort of thing. So it, that kind of education regarding the NDP has been passed down to me. But they're doing the same thing that they did back then when we were trying to get health care here in Canada. They were saying... You're going to lose all your freedom, blah, blah. The doctors are going to be able to do this and do that. And there'll be video cameras in your, you know, little doctor's room and that sort of thing. And it didn't work, but it does work in the States. They just scare the crap out of you into going along with their ideas. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Well, moving on. Guys, did you know what? It's mail time. Mail time. Mail? Hate mail? We got some hate mail. Is it from the same guy? No, this is, uh, we'll, we'll just name him Joe. Uh, Joe was, uh, says... <laughs> is that a pun based on uh, Blue's Clues? Because I think the new guy's name is Joe, too. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Joe and Steve, send us hate mail. <laughs> anyway, sure. send us our hate mail. Joe, Joe sends us an email. He says, uh, it's a good podcast, but he says, cut out the annoying movie clip inserts between dialogue. Amateur. Oh, my God. I yeah, uh, That's true. I, I agree with him. Houston, we have a problem. Oh. I, I don't know what to say about that. I like the sound effects as long as it's not the same sound effects. Oh, 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 are, are, we, are we putting in too, ma- too many sound effects? Is that what we're doing? No. no. Ah. You should just put me in charge of it. <laughs> <laughs> what happens if uh, Joe represents the majority of uh, what the, our listeners are thinking? Well, how do we establish that? That's it, man. Game over, man. <laughs> Game over. <laughs> what the fuck are we going to do now? I, I don't know, man. Scene. Thank, thank you, Joe, so much. We'll we'll bear that into consideration. That was it. That's the whole. I, I thought it was going to be like venomous and stuff, but it no, no. It was just a, sh- a simple short line. I mean, it's not. It's not really hate mail. It's We're just not allowed to give his real name and thank him because that is good feedback. Well, I said Joe. He knows who he is. I don't oh, want to. I don't want to put out his full name uh, because I don't know. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> thank you, Joe. I've been telling <laughs> Kevin for a long time to use new sound effects. So thanks, Joe. <sighs> Holy shit balls. <laughs> Sorry, that was the best one. That's the David Fitzgerald episode. That was great. Okay, well, Nancy's not here, but we do have a pre-recorded version of This Day in History. Let's go to that right now. Let's go. This Day in History, which, as we know by now, is a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated the days between... 
January the 16th and the 22nd. And starting with the 16th, it's Martin Luther King Day again. Again. And again, I know. It seems Happens like... Happens every just, year. I know. And, you know, it's... it's um, I think it's, a, it's really wonderful that that day falls every four years, MLK... Day falls with the inauguration, and you can't help but take the history of you know what um, mm-hmm, MLK mm-hmm. accomplished and where we are now to contrast the two. Exactly. And this year, it's very dramatic, very dramatic. Interesting indeed. Yeah, exactly. Um, January the 18th is Revolution Day in Tunisia, and in 1773, on that day, Captain James Cook became the first one to cross the Antarctic Circle. And in 1929, Edwin Hubble communicated the now classic paper that first showed the universe was expanding and later provide observational evidence for the Big Bang Theory. So, and happy birthday to Michelle Obama, by the way, on the, on the 18th as well. I hope she does well. What a yeah, I liked classic. her. I really liked her as the, um, as the first lady. I yeah. thought she was like just a, a black Jack Yo even. Fabulous. Yeah. The way she related oh, to yeah. every age. She was just cool. Yeah. She was just cool, cool lady. Good luck, Michelle. Oh, yeah. Um, also, the um, 18th was a relatively quiet day in history other than Michelle. If you want to overlook Dr. William Price trying to cremate his infant son, Jesus Christ Price. Oh, man. What a story Whoa. this is. Um, Dr. William Price was born in Wales in 1800 and studied to become a doctor. Um, He was a vegetarian nudist who believed in free love and herbal remedies, just like all the other doctors we know, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, this isn't a character you'd instantly associate with 19th century Wales, but Dr. William Price was one of the most colorful and intriguing individuals of his age. He became renowned for his unconventional manner, refusing to treat patients who smoked, because he despised the habit, and he also had his patients pay him when they were well instead of when they became sick. There are several oh. uh, cultures, you know, that that, um, that promote that that kind of payment to doctors. If you go to England, you actually get a bonus. Yeah, you exactly. Tell you, you, patients get better. Yeah. So Price proclaimed himself to be an art druid and wore a scarlet waistcoat, green trousers, and a fox fur hat while carrying out his druid ceremonies. I don't know whether he dressed that way as a doctor or not. Yeah, but purple heart, yellow moon, and green clovers? (laughs) Yeah, almost. (laughs) He was also prone to going for long walks in the nude, which behavior earned him a reputation um, for eccentricity, to say say the the least. To say the least, he was a character. So unlike doctors of his age, Price was an advocate of herbal remedies and dispensed his own potions to the sick under his care. And that earned him, as if he didn't have another enough to earn him a reputation, he heard, hard to believe he had a reputation as a quack, <laughs> <laughs> rather than a genuine medical practitioner. But it seems certain that he viewed the work of his contemporaries in much the same way, denouncing their traditional methods of medicine. He opposed practices such as vivisection and vaccination. So anyway, in accordance with his unconventional views, getting down to why we're talking about him, other than the fact that he seemed to be kind of a nut bar, Price despised laws and its administrators and was an avid charist. He played a part in the planning of the Charist Rising in Newport in 1839 by organizing a supply of arms. Although he didn't participate in the Rising itself, he escaped to Paris in its aftermath. So many years later, while in his 80s, 
he fell he met and fell in love with a young woman many decades his junior named Gwendolyn Llewellyn no Gwen Glen Lillian Llewellyn she was his housekeeper and together they had three children one of whom was christened Jesus Christ Price Jeez, yeah. no pressure there. Oh, no. And he did it, which was apparently designed to enrage the local churchgoers as he was an ardent opponent of Orthodox religion. <laughs> so Jesus died in infancy. Now we're getting down to it after we've painted this picture. Um, he died in infancy, and his father chose to cremate his son's body, an act for which Price is probably best remembered. On January 18, 1884... He burned the child's body in front of onlookers um, on a hillside near his home, which I'm sure, you know, like to, an the consternation, yeah, to the consternation of all of his neighbors. Yeah. But he believed that cremation was, an, uh, was an, uh, in accordance with ancient Celtic practices. So he was prosecuted for the act. Um, in the in the winter in Cardiff where he lived, but the jury surprisingly found him not guilty, and the judgment established the precedent for the legality of cremation in Britain. And Price was hailed by its promoters, though his motivation was his Druid belief, and not because he was on any kind of a an activist uh, mm-hmm. role, you know, to be able to promote cremation, um, you know, as a, as a practice that would be. Uh, traditional. So he died on the 23rd of January in 1893 in comparative poverty and he left detailed instructions for his body to be cremated in an iron, in a cast iron sheeting. Interesting, interesting person, you know, in history. Yeah, but that's why he, that's why we took the time because if it wasn't for him, we probably wouldn't have an early pathway to creation, which is well, cremation, which is well accepted at this point. And 1905, let's celebrate the beginning of something a lot better, a better topic here um, in, in, uh, in history. Something that's so iconically Canadian and so common that we don't even think about it at all. And it is, ta-da, the day that Canada Dry Ginger Ale oh. aha, was patented by John J. McLaughlin in 1905. And by the way, a bit of trivia the original label had a beaver sitting atop the map of Canada. Of course. Of course. And also, happy birthday to Marc Messier. Oh. January 20th was Inauguration Day in the States and the birthday of the only real Tarzan, Johnny Weissmiller, whose victory cry of the bull ape lives on in ringtones. <laughs> so congratulations to the United States for having another inauguration and uh, for Johnny Weissmiller who, you know, maybe it would be lovely to have a have a, uh, a drop you know, of his... We'll add a drop. Call. We'll add a drop. And that, dear listeners, brings to close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally bizarre events and people that make up this day in history. Thank you very much, Nancy, as usual. Now, before we get to John McComb, let's do another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. Now, I've got a good story for you guys this week. Uh, there was a guy that was driving through Amarillo, Texas, when he saw this disturbing billboard saying, Vaccines can cause autism. And the subtitle says, Choose Intelligent Design. The signs, or at least two of them, have been up for over a month, and uh, a lot of local residents are... <laughs> 
pretty much infuriated. There's a guy at the bottom says www.drfit.com. It really concerned me when I saw it because it was like people are going to see this and believe it without doing their own research and doing their own investigating without taking uh, without talking to their own doctors. Said uh, Tassi Haley. It just made me upset seeing it. The sponsor of the sign, which is a Robbie Mitchell, MD or Doctor Fit, claims there is evidence showing a link between vaccines and autism. And that what he is putting on the sign is nothing new. He said he just wants parents to be informed. I have a daughter who is autistic, and I know that that is complete BS. <laughs> Only vaccine. Did you did you cause your daughter's autism? Well, well I, I gave her extra ones, you know, just to make sure that she got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the, I'll give you the link between vaccines and autism. Is that at the age that you typically yep. get the vaccines and the age that autism shows up, that's kind They're of... They're correlated because you typically vaccinate kids around four and people typically start exhibiting signs of autism around four. So people are looking... That was why the guy did the initial study, yes. which he like completely like fabricated the results. So I, I forget the name of that guy. With Andrew Wakefield. Yeah, Andrew it was like... Wakefield. He studied like 12 cases. I mean, really? And he admitted to fraud. He yeah, admitted to it. It's, it's, it, his whole paper was pulled from like scientific literature, period. They're still pushing that. I can't believe this. But, you know, it just shows, you know, it's, it's the snowball effect, right? It's well, been over for it, how long? There's going to be a new story here that says billboards promoting pseudoscience causes me to vandalize them. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like, this is just making people dumber. Somebody had vandalized one that said, God listens. That's what the sign said, and they put underneath in big red letters, Slayer. <laughs> God listens to Slayer. You know, it reminds me of that, that time when I, 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 had, I used to have a full-size van. Mm. And, of course, you know, it gets dirty here during the winter, especially, you know. You get all this dust on it. And on the back, I, as I parked at the, the, the rec center, I rode with my finger on the back of my van, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to the gym at the rec center at the time. By the time I came out... All the back of my van had been wiped clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should give you guys a bit of an update on that um, logical fallacies illustrated book of bad arguments that I kind of want to push. Mm -hmm. So I talked to my daughter's school, and I didn't realize this because I'm from Saskatchewan, right? So her, 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 yeah, I, know. Her, I lost the birth lottery. Uh, <laughs> her school only goes from kindergarten to grade six, so I'm thinking that's a little young, but I did call the school and was asking about curriculum and the you know PTA kind of thing and I was talking to the secretary who sounded to be about 50 and I said I'm just wondering if uh, you guys you know talk to any of your students about logical fallacies and she says logical fallacies what's that <laughs> I don't know grade one to I six, wanted to man. stick my head through a wall I was like are you serious you've never heard of a logical fallacy so Grade one to six isn't too young. I mean, you can indoctrinate them with some other things. So well, why not uh, logic? <laughs> I, I do teach my oldest daughter. I said, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't know how the pyramids were built. Therefore, aliens. <laughs> you know, I don't know what that thing is in what, the sky. Are you, are you saying that they didn't? Well, like, what? Arguments from aliens? ignorance, that sort of thing. But I think that's the key to this whole thing. It, it explains all the conspiracy theories. All of the quantum woo, all of the science woo, 
God, all of the stuff really comes down to being based on logical fallacies. So that, I'm, ho- I'm hoping that and aliens. Well, that too. But I'm, I'm ho- still a while back on the conversation because I'm not going to try to make the link between uh, vaccinations and autism. But I'm racking my brain to remember the name of the author, in which I can't right now. But the book Unbroken Brain, I would recommend. In that it talks about addictions and apparently. Why are you looking at me when you say broken brain? Unbroken brain. <laughs> oh, okay. Unbroken, uh, brain. unbroken brain. And it. it it's interesting because it's written by a woman who's a journalist and who had been uh, addicted to uh, heroin, cocaine, and a few other things. And it's an incredibly interesting book. Mm. And she writes that uh, apparently uh, pe- people that deal with autism are more likely or it, 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 they'll lean towards addictions, which I'd never seen anywhere else. So, so, so you're <laughs> saying you're advocating cocaine and heroin? <laughs> I'm it, advocating reading that book. It's yeah, actually the, the same with uh, schizophrenia. Let's do that again. Yeah. Schizophrenia is the same sort of way. Like uh, schizophrenics actually self-medicate by smoking and doing like cocaine. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That could easily be the connection. Uh, ADD. I, I is another stimulant. I actually that they posted do. a link the other day that kind of offended people, and it's kind of linked to today's show. It wouldn't was, be you if you were. If you didn't I know. Eh? No it doubt. Was, uh, Once a week at least. It was uh, something. Uh, it was from Cracked. You know that website, right? <laughs> yeah, I saw that one. <laughs> Anyways, it was like brain disorders that used to be beneficial. And if, <laughs> And if you really think about it, I mean, our society today is completely different than it was, you know, pre-Neolithic revolution, agricultural revolution, that kind of thing. Imagine a caveman with autism, I mean, (laughs) or ADHD. He would have been super genius and, like, come up with, like, really great inventions if he had, like, low low spectrum. And the other one is OCD. I mean, you're just obsessed with stockpiling food. (laughs) My club's just not right. My club's just not right. Well... And and that's the ADHD thing is we keep giving pe- kids Ritalin instead of keeping them busy. If you had a caveman who had ADHD, he would be jumping w- from one thing to yeah. another thing to another thing. Problem is, is that they n- never stop being busy. They will go until their body literally. Yeah. But he would, he would be a very helpful person in the caveman yeah. society. You don't just have one person. Ca- who don't worry, Gronk's got it. <laughs> He's going to be up all caveman night. With o- caveman with OCD. Did I leave the fire on? Did I leave the fire on? <laughs> <laughs> or e- even cleanliness, right? Like people. <laughs> I don't think that mattered in a cave. <laughs> my my daughter is almost three, and she definitely shows signs of OCD. She cannot be messy. She has to be super clean. She can't have garbage anywhere. She just freaks out about it. But if you think about you know bacteria and survival and that kind of thing, the caveman who went out you know took a shit and got it on his hand and didn't really care. He got sick and died and killed some of the people, but uh-uh. the he got immunity. Like eventually, yes, natural yes. selection would make sure that he was immune to that certain whatever. Is this what the show is derailing into? We're talking about poop and caveman. Here? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Anyway, we're gonna take a break now, and we'll be right back with John McComb from CKNW. Stick with us. Poop and caveman. Oh jeez. <laughs> Interested in a particular topic? You ever wonder where we find all this information? The Common Sense Canadian is a forum for critical discussion of the key issues shaping our world today. Water, energy, food security, and how we manage our resources to the public benefit while preserving our environment. So go to commonsensecanadian.ca. It's uncommonly sensible. Do you know where Saskatchewan is? 
Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2013. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm. Or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. Hi, I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page. All my friends are heathens, take it slow. Wait for them to ask you who you know. Please don't make any sudden Our next guest is a veteran broadcaster at CKNW 980, the giant in Vancouver. He won the Governor General's Caring Canadian Award for his efforts to fight mental illness stigma. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome John McComb. John, how are you today? And now you, your, your uh, volume has gone away. Oh, I can hear you now. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> can you hear me now? Great. Verizon Wireless. How are you, John? Hello. Hi, guys. Uh, really a pleasure to be uh, with you. Thanks for uh, inviting me onto your show. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. This is awesome. You're welcome. John, uh, you, uh, a lot of our listeners are uh, international, and uh, a lot of our listeners are from the U.S. and other parts of the country. You're here on the West Coast. They might not necessarily know who John McComb is. Would mm-hmm. you be so kind to give us the John McComb story? Uh, well, strangely enough, I uh, host a radio show called The John McComb Show on CKNW Radio in uh, Vancouver. It's a news and uh, talk station. And uh, I host the morning show, and I've been doing that for the last um, two and a half years or so. Uh, I've been in the radio business all my life, 46 years, and uh, I've been at CKNW now for the last 33, 34 years. So, um yeah, it was the only thing I wanted to do when I was a kid, and uh, thankfully it all worked out because uh, not having any other marketable skills, uh, it's uh, it's it's paid the rent and put food on the table. So, <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. You have been a big fighter to fight the stigma against mental illness, and uh, to the point that, like we said earlier, we actually got the Governor General's Caring Canine Award, and mm-hmm. you were quite honest saying that you yourself suffered from uh, depression. Would you like to care to elaborate on that? 
Well, yeah, the, the mental health piece is uh, something that's, uh, looking back, has probably been with me uh, all of my life uh, as a little kid uh, suffering from uh, anxiety. And that, uh, as I grew older, kind of turned into uh, depression. And uh, I think some of it is, uh, is, uh, has to do with genetics. Uh, people uh, further up the line of my family who have suffered from mental health problems. Uh, my dad suffered uh, PTSD uh, quite badly after the Second World War. So there was, I think, kind of a, a predilection for it uh, in the family. And, uh, it, yeah, it took me a long time to kind of get my head around uh, the fact that I did have a mental illness. And part of that was because I was um, ashamed. Uh, I had, uh, you know, my own self-imposed uh, stigma um, around admitting that, uh, that I had a mental illness. So it took me a long time, you know, to get, uh, finally get some help and get some, some proper treatment. In fact, it took a, uh, uh, an episode about um, 12, 13 years ago where uh, I just kind of hit the wall and crashed and my doctor said I had burnout and uh, I took seven months off uh, from work because I simply wasn't able to work anymore. I, I couldn't, uh, I was having panic attacks on the air, which I don't recommend. Uh, I was having, um, I was just, I was down all the time uh, to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't really function properly. So it, it actually took that for me to, uh, you know, get my act together and, uh, and get healthy again. So, and, and through all of that, I, I came to understand why people, you know, self-stigmatize? Because uh, even even today, it's it's not something that a lot of people will talk about. You know, if you have a heart attack, it's one thing. If you have, you know, tr trouble with your stomach or liver disease, you know, nobody's really ashamed to talk about it. But when it comes to mental health, uh, over the years, uh, that self-stigma and that that shame uh, are two very very big obstacles uh, for people to try to get over. So. That's why I started talking about it on the radio, and um, yeah, one of my listeners nominated me for the Governor General's Award, and uh, that was it. Was great. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. I I'm going to put in a few, a few facts here uh, about depression because I think depression is very misunderstood. Um, Twenty percent of all Canadians will experience a mental illness in their lifetime. Eight percent mm -hmm. will experience major depression. Uh, one percent of them will experience schizophrenia, and five percent will experience uh, a big, ex uh, a lot of anxiety. Forty-nine percent of sufferers never get checked, never get a check, never get diagnosed. It has cost seven point nine billion dollars to healthcare system, and this is in nineteen ninety-eight. There's an yep. additional six point three billion spent on mental health services and time off work. Mm -hmm. Three point percent of all hospital admissions are mental health related, and ten to twenty percent of youth are affected. And that t uh, 10 to 20 percent, 5 percent of them are male, 12 percent of them are female. John, I, I, I think a lot of people, when they think of depression, it seems like a, a bit like a, I call it a ghost term because it's, yeah. it's vague. I mean, uh, people can have some up and down some days where they don't feel, you know, they feel a bit apathetic or something like that. Sure. But how do you know if you're actually suffering from de depression? Ha. Well, um, what an incredibly stupid question. Well, for me, um, there was this underlying problem with uh, anxiety. So let me start there. The anxiety—it's—it's um, it's hard to—it's hard to explain. It's—it's it's like you're you're on guard all the time. 
Like you never, you're never really comfortable. You're never really sort of comfortable in your own skin. So uh, you're always kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop that something catastrophic is going to happen. It, it never does, but you have that anticipation, and that's that's what a lot of uh, uh, anxiety was. And in growing up in in my family, um, I call it uh, capital D dysfunctional because. Uh, my dad suffered from PTSD after the uh, Second World War, so he self-medicated with uh, alcohol, became an al alcoholic. Uh, my mother was a nurse. She had, I, I think she had the same thing that I have, but in those days they didn't recognize it as that. Um, so she uh, got into uh, problems with prescription drugs, and uh, it, it just, um, it was one horror show and horror story after another. Until when I, I was uh, 17, I came home one night and my, found my mother dead on the living room floor. Oh, and gosh. That, that kind of, uh, that was the beginning of, of adulthood for me. So all I wanted to do was, um, I was, we were living in Tucson, Arizona at the time where I grew up, and all I wanted to do was just get the hell out and, and you know, get on with my life. So instead of, you know, dealing with or, or trying to sort out any of these emotions or issues, I just stuffed them and you know and said, "Hell with it! I'm going to go get on with my radio career." And that turned out to be a mistake because it took me, uh, you know, up into my well, I guess into my 40s to really come to terms with you know with the problems I was having. So yeah, all of that to say that that uh, the the stigma thing has been really big for me, and it's one of the reasons I've uh, used my radio show to try to to tell other people or to let other people know that. You know, it's not just them who are, uh, who are suffering. Excellent, yeah. There was such a stigma for a long time. I mean, we're working on it now, but uh, it, everyone saw the body as ending right at the neck, and then the head was a totally different thing, but it's all one big, giant unit. There's, there's also the idea that, you know, uh, what is normal as far as, far as the mental state is concerned? I don't think we've ever actually defined what's that. So it's hard to say when a person is, quote-unquote, normal. Yeah. Uh, and for the record, John, I will tell you that... Uh, you don't need to feel bad about it. Nobody wants to see in Tucson. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm pretty guilty for it myself. Years ago, before I understood the stuff, I would say, you know, it's kind of a first world problem. If you don't have a reason to be sad and yeah. you're still sad, then shut up and stop whining. Yeah, uh, we mean, hear that now, a lot. Right? Now yeah. I understand that that's just not how it works. Like John said, there is indeed a genetic component. I can show you the uh, Stanford studies, but it's basically like there, there's an environmental factor too, but the, genetic, like John, yeah. the genetics is kind of like the bullet in the gun. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. the environmental factor is kind of pulling the trigger. Okay. Yeah. It helps so to think of it like, you know, like diabetes, right? Put it, yeah. So, yeah. and, and another interesting thing about what John said regarding his dad getting, you know, PTSD and from World War II, was that before you were born or conceived or? Uh, yeah, he was, um, he, he had a, a fair amount of trauma in his life growing up. He's, his dad was, uh, uh, he saw his dad killed in a car accident when he was uh, 12 years old. And uh, so he had that, to, you know, to, on his on his shoulders, and then uh, he enlisted in the Marine Corps when he was 17. He, he lied about his age and got into the Marine Corps. Um, and they ended up shipping him off to the South Pacific to uh, the Solomon Islands, which was, uh, you know, some of the 
some of the grisliest and uh, uh, and most horrible fighting that took place in the in the South Pacific. Absolutely. And he saw a lot of his his buddies were shot up and killed and stuff. And uh, that experience. Finally, he was wounded, uh, so they shipped him back to the uh, San Diego um, Naval Hospital where he met my mother. And uh, he never processed any of that anger or fear or, you know, all of the stuff that goes along with it. He just, he did the same thing I did and just stuffed it. Yeah, that's I, what real men do, right? Yeah, yeah well, and, and you know, the thing is, all those guys came back as heroes, right? They'd won the war and everybody was... They were, everybody was celebrating, but there was about 20% of them who came back really fucked up, and uh, and he was one of them. So uh, it, it, it took me a long time to kind of sort out, because I had a lot of uh, anger toward him, you know, and a lot of, uh, a lot of resentment, and it, it took me a while to kind of figure out what his deal was, and uh, then it all kind of started to make sense to me that... You know, he was just passing on down the line the the, the crap that he had in, inherited and had to deal with as well. So, um, yeah, it's 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 interesting how it does run in families, and you know that's that's just another component of it. I think. Are you familiar with epigenetics at all? I've heard the phrase, but I, I don't know what it is. Well, I'll give you an example. Tyler, okay. put your your microphone in front of you. I can barely hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes, much better. Okay, hey. so there's this interesting study where they took father rats and had them you know smell this scent it was like almonds or nuts or it doesn't matter anyways <laughs> so they would have them smell it and then they would electrocute them every time they smelled it so it got to the point where they would smell this scent and they would be absolutely terrified of being electrocuted condition response so then they waited and then they had these male rats father children and this was all double blind that sort of thing and then they had the babies of those fathers were exposed to the scent, and they were absolutely terrified of the scent, even though they hadn't been conceived by that point. So it kind of makes me think of what you said, you know, about your dad. Is uh, there's similar experiments, you know, with the Dutch famine and all these different yeah. things? But it's kind of like your environment tells your dad, "This is some stressful ass shit," you know, d build up some defense to it. But then you inherited it, but you didn't go to World War II, obviously. Yeah. So, but you've still got kind of the, the brain structure, the anxiety, the depression, that sort of yeah. thing. It's passed down genetically, for oh, sure. Hold on, you guys are not suggesting we electrocute John McComb, are you? <laughs> well, I was thinking about it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm thinking you can inherit fears. They've noticed the same thing yeah. with the uh, Jewish Holocaust survivors and their grandchildren. They tend to have some mental issues with PTSD and stuff. Phobias so with animals like spiders and snakes is very common because it's genetically passed down. Yeah, so I, I think there is actually a benefit to depression, so I'm hoping this doesn't really offend a whole bunch of people because I understand people aren't a big fan of evolutionary psychology but there is a lot of evidence to it they've actually yeah. done problem solving studies on people with depression and people without depression and the people with depression tend to be a lot more analytical and they can kind of disassociate or detach from their emotions in order to focus on the problem so you got to think about cavemen 20,000 years ago you know, one that has depression. I mean, it, it's going to be a bit of a signal to the tribe of 50 people that their role in society is not working out for them and they're able to focus on their problems. So I really do think there is an advantageous, you know, benefit to depression. But living in the 21st century, 
not so beneficial. No, exactly. But is introspection yeah. necessarily a product of depression? Now, now John, you know, on your efforts on uh, finding uh, the stigma and all that, we're seeing today a lot of people, that are, they're recognizing PTSD. And like you said, you know, PTSD wasn't recognized back then, so it is mm-hmm. sort of recognized now. Do you think we're moving the same way with depression? You know, we're kind of, for lack of a better term, evolving in our understanding of uh, the, uh, the mental illness. Well, yeah, I do. Um, I, I, although I, I don't think in, in, in a lot of ways that, that society generally is really uh, still get, has, a, has a handle on it or understands, uh, you know, what it, what it is, because it is very difficult to uh, explain to people, like, well, you know, why do you always feel bad? You know, what do you mean? What do you mean you feel bad? What does that What does that look like? And in my case, a lot of times it was uh, it manifests as anger. I I had this low level um, annoyance all the time. So I'd snap at my kids. I'd snap at my wife. I'd drag myself off to work. That that kind of thing, you know. John, and isn't and that exactly after a while, you lose the ability to understand what uh what happiness is because you're just you're so far down in that trench all the time that that becomes your your way of life isn't that exactly the case though that each individual experiences depression in an entirely different way a broken leg is similar to another broken leg but i don't think people experiencing depression share it and sometimes don't even know that they're experiencing it themselves mm-hmm, exactly it's a good point yeah i, I think that's true it, 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 it can uh, it often is very individual and it you know it depends on the uh, the the experiences i mentioned the environmental part it, it depends on the experiences of the individual as well um in my case you know it was it was pretty pretty crazy from the get-go um and so that was that was sort of the normal to me and so feeling anxious and feeling you know like the other shoe was going to drop became my normal way of being in the world uh and it you know as i say it took me a, a few years into adulthood to finally uh sort out that well wait a minute this isn't the way it's supposed to be this isn't the way life is you know is, is meant to be may i ask uh, how young it was when you first experienced the anxiety yeah you'd mentioned it was oh, in your kid, when, I was, right? when i was a very little kid from from the time I was, you know, four, five, six years old. I had no idea. My my brother has always said I've always been a little spooky. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that would be a survival benefit as well. Now, one thing that most people aren't aware of is that they've basically concluded that we keep throwing antidepressants at people, and yeah. more than ninety percent of the time, antidepressants don't do shit. Yeah. And you actually have to do a is that gen- a technical term? <laughs> <laughs> you actually have to do a genetic test in order to basically pick your antidepressant that'll actually work with you. Otherwise, it's like just giving out. Cash. They know a lot more about the pharmacology and everything nowadays than they did, like say, ten years ago. But yeah. no, but you can totally see uh, John's uh, example. For example, he started this, uh, suffering from this as a kid, and if you're a young kid that, that's feeling down or. or, or you know, not very happy. What, what do you tell that kid? You know, you kind of dismiss it, right? You dismiss it offhand. Oh, here's a new toy. You'll be happy with this or whatever, right? Well, so, what are you supposed to do as a society? I mean, you're supposed to actually change the roles because obviously if you're depressed, then your role isn't working. But th- we don't care. I mean, you don't like your job. You don't like where you live. Suck it up. Yeah, we, yeah. That's, that's right. That's what we always say, you know. 
So that's well, not and, and the solution. The, it's, it's true, and, and people go from job to job, and they go from relationship to relationship, and they go from town to town, or you know, what, you know, whatever it happens to be, uh, without any insight into why this is is happening. You know, they they all they know is that they need to go and and do or be somewhere else, and um, you know, I think that's that's part of the the driver too, is that people just uh, don't have any real in, insight, you know, into why they're leading their life uh, the way they are. And, right. and again, it's the same thing with me. It took me a long time to go, oh, wait a minute. And I tried, I tried everything and spent thousands of dollars, literally, uh, trying to deal with, it almost became a hobby, trying to deal with my, my shtick, my inner, my inner demons. And I went to uh, I went to therapy, and I took mega vitamins, and I <laughs> sat with my inner child, and I had my, <laughs> my chakras aligned, and <laughs> I had what, every, what every wacky thing on the planet to try to deal with this myself. And I spent just a ton, you know, a ton of money, just <laughs> bouncing from one thing to the next, and reading the next book and the next self help thing, and. Uh, you know, finally, I, as I say, I, I crashed and, and, and gave up, basically. I said, okay, I, clearly I can't handle this, so, you know, let's see what, uh, what else there is. So. Did something help, though? <laughs> Ever? Oh, yeah, going to a doctor and taking the medication. Now, <laughs> there's, a, the, uh, no, there's a certain, the way we look at it now, I think, is, as you say, is far different than it, it was uh, 10 or 15 Years ago, because they're finding out that antidepressants aren't the uh, aren't the solution. Uh, they work. They work for me, um, and Myself I still take well. uh, take them in the morning. Although my as I as I've grown older, I'm starting to think that I need them less, and have um, and I'm sort of giving serious thought to starting to uh, to come off them and yeah. uh, seeing where where things are at because it it does become a habit, you know, and I, I felt so bad for so long that when I finally started, you know, feeling pretty, pretty good, I didn't want to screw around with it. You know, yeah, make sure that you, you know, it's good. Let's just leave it. Let's it's not working. Yeah. So you go don't do it without it. doctor's supervision. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you, well, do you, ex I, do you exercise just, uh, at all? I just came off some stuffed cold turkey about two weeks ago without telling my doctor. So Ooh. I'm, I'm a bit of a, uh, Risk taker. <laughs> do, do you exercise at all, John? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I, go the, I go to the gym. Uh, I work with a trainer a couple of days a week. Are you kidding? That's part of his one of his segments on his show. <laughs> he talks about yeah. fitness, and it's yeah. always a blast. I don't have a lot of time to listen to stuff, but I've I've been <laughs> in the same situation. Now. I went blind when I was 13 years old for you know playing with the homemade explosives, and I kind of blew myself up and lost oh, my no. left. Eye. Yeah, and I went blind in the other eye and. I kept going through, you know, all these different problems and stuff, and they just kept trying to give me medication. They never actually tried to help me stay busy, and I, I think that's one of the main things that people need is they need to have a purpose and be busy, whether it be ADHD or autism or OCD or depression yeah. or that sort of thing. And I'm dealing with it now because I'm not working, and that's very, very, very depressing. So, you know, I'm on disability and they just give me my check every month and tell me to go away. And I say, you know what? Give me a job. I'll work for free. I'd be more than happy to just work just to stay busy. It would benefit me. 
and there's nothing out there for that. They just yeah. kind of give you the it's, money and tell you to go away. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because the for me the um, the the salvation was the radio business because again, having had that that drive since I was a little kid because. I mean, realistically, when you when you look at uh, how a lot of people end up, you know, I, sh I should have been addicted, I should have been in jail, I should have been at any number of, you know, any number of outcomes. But I think because I, I had this this bug about radio, that that was the one thing that I focused on uh, from being just a, a teenage, you know, 12, 13-year-old kid. That's where I put my a lot of my time and energy in in focusing on that and, and well yeah that that's your social contribution like the caveman who goes and gets the wood you know what i mean if yeah. he's if he's depressed and not liking that they try to find him a new job so they they found depression to be common around the world even in third world countries where people basically live like cavemen so yeah the fact that it there is a genetic co component there is a survival benefit to it Absolutely. Really, really, really shows that we need to actually do something environmentally. I mean, if we need to point people in the right direction, like I said, I, I tell the government, give me a job. I'd like to earn my disability check. And they just tell me to go away. That, that Anybody, any of our listeners got a job with Taylor, he'll take it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, that, especially that in the that, radio. That upsets the paradigm, right? Because if, if, you go, if you get a job and you are paid for it, then... You know they'll kick you off your your disability. I mean, it, it, they yeah. they don't they don't see the need for people to have something you know to work at or yeah. To, they to discourage you. They actually That's discourage so you. They they yeah. punish you for working. Actually, I'm only yeah. allowed to make a thousand dollars a month on top of my disability. So I think the medical like uh, we are moving towards like finally accepting that and acknowledging it, but it's been a long haul. Yeah. yeah, John. When you look at the future and uh, all your efforts, and well, you 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 have your thumb on the pulse of a lot of what's going on in the area, are you optimistic? Yeah, I I, I am. It's uh, one of the one of the things I did when I started talking uh, talking about my situation on the air is I got involved pretty heavily in uh, in fundraising and um, I worked on a couple of projects. One of them was the uh, the one at uh, Vancouver General Hospital that they're should be finishing up soon it's a it'll be a brand new hundred bed uh, mental health unit uh, and i've done some other fundraising things as well and there's a th there's more of of uh, of an understanding because mental illness has always been the the ugly sister of of medicine right it's it was never really funded properly and because of the stigma thing i think it was kind of it was kind of given short shrift, but now because of the of the outcry, because so many people are affected by it, uh, they are starting to build uh, purpose-built mental health facilities, and um, you know, so it's it's been slow, but I think it is improving slowly. You know, it's it's interesting. They're actually like pulling funding from like some of the long-term care facilities for people who can't like take care of themselves in the public. Yeah, and, like moving places like Mountain View and Nero, for example, oh, like they're they're bad. shutting it down. Yeah, yeah that was bad. Yeah. yeah. Any final question for John before we let him go? Um, yeah, I'm I'm very interested in the current homeless situation, and mm -hmm. I've looked at the stats for chronic homelessness. I'm not talking yeah. about people who don't have a place to live for a month. You know, the people under the bridge and stuff. It mm -hmm. tends to really be uh, half addiction, 
half mental health, whether it be schizophrenia mm-hmm. or this or that, and they're not yep. helping these people. They're just kind of We're leaving them. So if, if you were Prime Minister of Canada and you could you know, create some policies to help with this kind of thing, what would you do? Good question. Joel McCone for Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> I decline respectfully. <laughs> I think there's a problem with... We have the, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, right? So the, the, the authorities can't essentially force you to do anything. But when they emptied out places like Riverview and when they said we're going to set up uh, you know, community health care centers and, and then they didn't, what they did was was dumped a lot of people out on the street who yeah. simply were not capable of taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. They, they just they just were not capable of staying on the medication or staying on the therapy or doing the uh, you know going to the gym and getting exercise, doing the things that you're supposed to do to to try to stay healthy. And mm-hmm. so those people uh, got left by the wayside and they ended up sleeping under bridges and a lot of them ended up with uh, addiction problems. I, I, was, uh, I was on the downtown east side uh, not too many weeks ago just talking to people about the fentanyl crisis and you know how, how did you end up here and uh, a lot of them just mental health problems, schizophrenia, depression, uh, didn't know what to do, ended up down there and, and self-medicated with whatever, what, uh, whatever was on the street. And so now the the stigma thing is is being addicted. Well, you know, if if people would sort of step back a second and and put the judgment and the the morality and all the bullshit aside and say, yes. you know, okay, how do people end up down here? Then I think we could probably save a hell of a lot of money and a hell of a lot of lives by properly uh, getting people the treatment they need, and if they can't look after themselves, finding a way to. Uh, to put them in a place where they're safe and where they're, they're healthy, can get healthy and, and, and go from there. So and educating the public, right? The public needs to know too. Well, and you, you might be interested to know that it's actually three times cheaper to just take those homeless people and give oh. them a home as opposed to yeah. leaving them on the streets because they cost health care and crime and, and exactly. this and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I agree with Tyler there because uh, we have a very compassionate chief of police out here at one presentation that he gave to our counselors, he said that people are not homeless because they're addicts, but they're addicts because they're homeless. And I mm. thought that was very interesting. Mm. Well, Most they, cases, I'd say. They need a purpose, right? I mean, finding your next heroin fix is a purpose. It keeps you busy, right? Yeah. yeah. It's just not contributing to society. So uh, I have some stuff that I'd like to forward on to you in, in case you're interested. There's actually a book called The Survival of Sadness, which I found very, very okay. interesting. All right. John, uh, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate everything, you, uh, your generosity with your time with us. Uh, if people want to find out more about your efforts and what you're doing uh, to combat uh, the, the stigmas of mental illness, where can they reach you? Uh, they can get a hold of me through uh, the radio station's website, which is cknw.com, and there is uh, a link there to, uh, to get in touch with me uh, via email. Perfect. And John, before I let you go, can I get you to do one little thing for us? Can sure. You, can you say, hi, I'm John McComb of the John McComb Show, and I took a left at the valley. Hi, I'm John McComb from the John McComb Show, and I took a left at the valley. And that is John McComb of CKNW. Great guy, great show. I highly recommend you listen to his show every morning on the, the Giant 980 AM. Time for my rant. 
Well, there you have it, guys. We tackle a ghost of a problem within our society. Depression is an elusive illness which adds to the burden of being kind of taboo. As an atheist, I couldn't help but make some parallels with what many atheists and non-believers go through on a regular basis. Being a freethinker in this day and age is still regarded as either selfish, mentally unstable, and even dangerous. Where many of us remain closeted because of the taboo of not bowing the knee to some Bronze Age fiction. When you live in a world where it seems the overwhelming population thinks there's something wrong with you, it can be easy to retreat in comfortable cocoon, pass over the extended hand of others, and fall into the pit of nihilism or other morose philosophy because you don't see eye to eye with theists. It's your fault, don't you know? Snap out of it and join us in God's love. You see the parallel yet? But shows like this one and many others should have made something abundantly clear by now. You're not alone. And you're not crazy. On the contrary, you see the world for what it really is. You see a species, still in its infancy, clinging on to the comfortable blankie called God. You see a species scared and afraid to face an indifferent universe and wishing for parental protection. And when you have the gall to say so, you are shamed and pressured into conforming. As a social species, that pressure is difficult to face. And thus you start questioning if there's something wrong with you. Trust me, there isn't. Quite the contrary. You have stepped out of the infancy of our species and asserted some independence. Atheists are like that kid that starts questioning Santa, while his or her brother and sister affirm the magical elf is quite real. They'll even go to the length of mocking that kid and pressure him or her back into the loving arms of jolly Saint Nick. Don't fall into the trap. Don't step backwards because it's comfortable and familiar. Step out into the light, and although it can be scary, you'll find the others just like you. The ones that don't believe in flying reindeers, Jewish carpenters walking on water, or desert raiders splitting the moon. Life begins outside your comfort zone, and outside the sea of ignorance that is religion. You're not crazy, you're the sane one. And that takes us to the end of our show. I want to thank John McComb, as well as my co-hosts Tyler, Kevin, and our guest Regina for having another great show once again. Thank you so much for joining us today on the show. You can give us a five-star review if you really appreciate what we're doing here, and it will really help, especially on iTunes. You can follow us at the Block Talk Radio, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube. You can send us a message on leftatthevalley.com. Or follow us at leftatthevalley.com. You can send us a message on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, Twitter handle is at LATV Podcast. Coming up next week, we will have the velvety voice of legendary atheist Seth Andrews in his show. That should be great. It's also down the road, and we'll be talking to... Michael Smith of um, Poorly Summarized Podcast, which is a really nice little podcast. I highly recommend it. It's really fun. And also in the month of March, we'll be talking to Cara Santa Maria. we got some great things coming down for you guys for the next couple of months. Make sure to join us. You can send us a message at leftadvalley@outlook.com. Guys, thank you so much. Until next time. Something missing in your brain I'm proud to be an atheist A skeptic, a non-believer An infidel, a heathen I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance And you just call it faith In unsubstantiated claims That's something to be ashamed I'm an atheist
intelligent people can reach the conclusion that all non-believers are evil. What a fucked up statement. Do you realize what you're saying? But according to your book, this is how your God made me. Skeptical of anything that contradicts history, denies evolution, hates science, promotes mystery. I'd rather see the truth than to bask in my own ignorance. Rather be alone than surrounded by damn isn't real, but Jesus is, or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu, you don't believe in them, I think the reason is apparent, you do what you're told, and believe in the God assigned by your parents, I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it, I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith, and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed, I'm an atheist, Take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, pun intended I find it disgraceful That thousands of children are raped by priests And since they're holy men of God They get away scot-free And the Pope does his very best To keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business He loves money too much We know that they love the kids But how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them We teaching them to respect them Fuck that The system is broke down Working backwards in the only action of tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them The parties of God's hands are bloodstained Millions of murders by believers And they're all in God's name And let me take a sec Don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, unintended I find it disgraceful That many atheists are told to be quiet You're not alone, speak your mind Time to let it be known I'm proud to be an atheist A skeptic, a non-believer Call it faith and unsubstantiated claims That's something to be ashamed